Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome back to another episode of Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly show where I, your host, Alex, rotate in discussing true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what your uncle's brother's best friend would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, we are back talking all things ooky spooky being a reportedly haunted location. But before we dive into that, I need to tell you what I need a distraction from. And yes, no housekeeping this week. Thank goodness. I feel like that's all I've been doing is housekeeping. But nope, we are good this week. So let's just dive into my need for a distraction. So my need for a distraction this week is that recently my in-laws had to put down the family dog. So her name was Maisie and it's been a little bit hard. I think it's always hard losing any animal, whether they're your animal or, you know, connected to you some way or form or just not at all. So my need for distraction is that she was a good girl and she will be very, very missed. If you have a need for a distraction and you want me to read it on air, feel free to shoot me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at itlook.com or send me a DM on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever works for you. But now that we have that out of the way and probably for the best because I might start crying and I don't necessarily want to do that right now, especially on an episode. So let's just dive into this week's weird distraction. This week, we are heading back to the United States to discuss a reportedly haunted former prison and sanatorium, which is located in what may be my new favorite state. And I say that it's my new favorite state because I seemingly have been going there a lot within the last year, which is the state of Pennsylvania, for those that are wondering. But with that being said, this week, I'm going to tackle the history and the haunts of Crescent Sanatorium. Due to potential coarse language and other adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. Situated at 251 Correction Road in Lilly, Pennsylvania, lies today's haunted location. According to the Ghost Hunts USA website, sometime in 1911, Dr. Samuel G. Dixon received quite the donation from a Mr. Andrew Carnage. Andrew reportedly donated 500 acres to build what would be Crescent State Tuberculosis Sanatorium, also known as the Allegheny Tuberculosis Sanatorium or the SAN. For those curious, Andrew was reportedly a steel tycoon and philanthropist, so needless to say, his pockets were heavy, but his heart was a little bit bigger than the average steel tycoon at the time, I guess. 
The property was considered hugely important for those who may fall ill with tuberculosis, aka TB, due to the abundance of fresh air, which many at the time felt would be helpful to treat the disease, also known as the White Plague. So basically, Andrew had this large lot of land, and when TB really started ramping up, especially in Pennsylvania, I think maybe he was approached or maybe he just decided, you know what, I'm going to take one for the team and just donate this land to this doctor and create an opportunity for folks to receive treatment here, given where it was located and given how beneficial it could be. Some accounts I came across online claim that there were some patients with tuberculosis that would be admitted into the hospital by 1912, aka during its construction, but accounts seem to vary. By 1914, there was a chapel built on the property known as the Grace Chapel. Keep this in mind for later on. And two years after this chapel was built, the doors would officially open in 1916 which the sanatorium would function as both a hospital and a long-term residential care facility, once again, for individuals and families that were affected by TB. Now, for any architectural-loving folks that are tuning in, the buildings on the property have been described as being built in a two-door style and often are compared to being almost resembling a college or a university campus as opposed to an actual hospital. Basically, it kind of seemed like it was decorated in a very bougie manner, which here's a direct quote from the Crescent Santorium website to kind of elaborate on that. Quote, The present administration building was built in the European style with gargoyles on the tower and the crests of Scottish clans cut into the sandstone as a reminder of Mr. Carnage, who was Scottish. So just paying tribute to Andrew, who once again donated quite the uh, the gift for this whole plan and idea to come to real life. I mean, if anyone has 500 acres just chilling around that uh, you want to make a donation to me, please hit me up. My email address is weirddistractionspodcast.com. I would be greatly appreciative. Eventually, there would be a power plant built on the property along with a gymnasium, a weightlifting room, an on-site kitchen, and laundry quarters, and more. Basically, it became kind of its own little town, which, for visual reference, I believe when all was said and done, Crescent would have a total of 20 buildings on the property. So it kind of reminds me of all the other sanatoriums and asylums and, you know, buildings similar to this that we've already chatted about on the show. They really became their own little little towns or little communities. And like so many other sanatoriums built in this area, Crescent was also designed to have underground tunnels. One passageway for these tunnels would allow staff to take the deceased patients from the hospital building down to the morgue without the living seeing them. Because I mean, there's got to be nothing worse than when you're practically on your deathbed and you see the guy that was two beds over from you getting, you know, gurneyed out while you're, I don't know, sitting near the window or something, right? Like, I think they were trying to keep morale up, even though morale around them was often diminishing because of tuberculosis, among other things. Supposedly, this tunnel passage was commonly known as the Death Tunnel, which, like, could they name it something more cheery? Many who died at Crescent were allegedly burned in the on-site incinerator or subsequently buried in unmarked graves. Which, I hate to remind folks, but unmarked graves or potter's fields in these kind of institutions were definitely not unheard of, especially in this time frame, because a lot of times people would not have any family or they couldn't afford a proper burial or the family was notified and they didn't want anything to do with them, which is also it's, it's tragic all the way around, no matter which way you flip it. 
Reports claim that from 1913 until 1956, Crescent State Sanatorium had over 40,000 deaths recorded that were caused by tuberculosis. But on a bit of a higher note, or positive note, I guess I should say, tuberculosis would become less of a health scare once proper medication was developed. So like many sanatoriums, such as Crescent, ceased to really kind of have a purpose, right? I mean, there were these grand buildings and, you know, these little communities that were built on the fact that they were trying to tackle tuberculosis. So once the numbers started dwindling down of people catching or becoming really ill with tuberculosis, the whole premise of their identity really started to change. According to what I found out online, by December of 1956, the facility was incorporated into the Lawrence F. Flick State Hospital. The hospital was reportedly managed by the Department of Public Welfare with a primary focus on mental health treatment. The facility remained in operation as such until roughly December of 1982. By the following year, Crescent changed again, this time into a state correctional institution under the Bureau of Corrections. In 1984, the now 68-year-old building saw renovations in order to fully embrace its new identity as a correctional facility. Which, fun fact, based off the designs made during this renovation period at Crescent for new housing units for inmates, Crescent became somewhat of like a prototype or a little bit of a blueprint for other institutions being built across Pennsylvania. Which, that's kind of neat. Now, let's talk about some of the inmates because there were some notable ones that I came across in doing this week's research, including Joseph Callinger and John Dupont. Joseph was probably a serial killer and rapist, while John was a reported murderer. I've added them to both my cover in the future list. In the meantime, check out the Reverie podcast host by Paige from August 2021 to learn more about Joseph Killinger. And I didn't look up any podcasts that have covered John DuPont, but like I said, I will cover them eventually on the show. Stay tuned for that. The prison would run from 1987 to 2013, being a total of 26 years where there have been alleged claims of mistreatment of prisoners, including unnecessarily prolonged solitary confinement. The prison officially closed on June 30th of 2013, supposedly due to rising prison costs and, I think, just the age of the buildings. I mean, you see it all the time. The building becomes more expensive to keep running or keep renovating to adapt to whatever is needed for it. But you may be curious, as I once was, to know what happened to Crescent when the prison eventually shut down in 2013. According to the website PA Bucket List, a company called Hydroponic Life reportedly took over the Crescent campus in late 2019. So I think there was a period where it just kind of sat, nothing really happened. But then in 2019, Hydroponic Life purchased the property. Based on what I gathered online, Hydroponic Life is an agricultural technology and manufacturing artificial intelligence-based company. Say that 12 times fast because I can barely say it one time over. Supposedly, Hydroponic has plans to build hydroponic equipment and to grow hydroponic produce and hemp. On top of this, the company also seemingly goes by Big House Productions, which I think is part of the company that is kind of breathing life back into Crescent. The company, from my understanding, is currently running Crescent's website and they allow for both historical and paranormal tours to take place on the grounds. The tour started in May of 2021 to help raise funds for maintenance and renos. And in a direct quote from the PA Bucket List website, quote, 
They, being Hydroponic Life, plan to continue offering events throughout 2022 while simultaneously remodeling, cleaning, and protecting the historical buildings at the abandoned Crescent State Prison. Now that we've covered the history of this week's location, let's get into some occult observations because I have a hunch that everybody who is listening that likes to maybe visit these paranormal locations is dying to know what to expect when you get there. For those listening for the first time ever, hi, hello, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to our weird little show, or my weird little show, I guess I should say. Occult Observations is a segment that I've been doing that allows for us to hear the good, the bad, and the downright weird online reviews about a reportedly haunted or just downright creepy location I'm discussing. As always, I like to kick us off with a negative review so we can kind of end on a more positive note. So for our first negative review, it's from user A. Shermer, which I'm probably butchering that, but here we are. It was posted about four months ago. The rating is one out of five stars, and the review reads, Very sad, capital D in sad, that the staff and operations can't get their business off the ground. If it isn't the website, it's tours and poor deals with their partners. Will not visit. End of review. I think whoever wrote this review maybe should hyperfocus on grammar uh, as opposed to leaving crappy reviews. But hey, that's just me. I'm just a fan in Crescent. And the next review is from Charlie Mills. They posted this about two months ago. They gave three out of five stars. So not too, too low, but still a little bit of a negative review. And the review reads, I was excited to see a new haunted attraction and was even more excited that it was located in a former prison. Be prepared for a long drive around the entire prison. It is not lit and not well maintained. That led to a parking lot where they had not quite figured out what the best way to do it was. Despite having half a dozen crossing guards with glow sticks directing traffic, next time try flashlights or something brighter. It was a two hour wait to go through one hour outside and one hour inside the visitor entrance. Once we went through, it was good if a bit overdone. Less plastic and tarps on the wall and more mission motive would have worked. Every inch of blank wall does not need a spirit store decoration or spray paint. This was the first year, so I hope lessons are learned and improvements are made. I will try again next year. End of review. I will say there is nothing more, I don't know, diminishing than when a historical haunted location has like Halloween decorations all year round. And I get it. Like some people are cool with that. Some some people enjoy that because it maybe takes away the actual scariness of a location. But I, I, I have to agree. If I see like Halloween decorations in a place and it's not near Halloween time, it's like, okay, come on. It just feels corny to me, but that's just my own preference. So I'm not gonna lie. The last one I'm gonna kind of side with a little bit there. But let's get on to the positive reviews. So the first positive review is from Heather Mazarol. Uh, Heather wrote this about five months ago, four to five stars. And the review reads, The whole experience was amazing. If I was to do it again, I would just go do my own guided tour. Ghost Hunts USA are super friendly, available to help. However, I thought for the price there would have been more time with the Ghost Hunts staff showing us or trying to reach the spirits. During the 10-hour event, the first two hours were broken up into 30-minute sessions with a ghost hunter in a certain area. So for the $150 it cost to get in, I would have liked a little bit more interaction and history. All in all, it's a great 
place to go visit and review. I find that interesting. 10-hour event and only two hours with, like, actual paranormal investigators? Is that normal? Write me in. Let me know if that's a normal thing. I feel like that's interesting. Very interesting. The last review I'm going to read, the last pause review we're going to talk about is from Georgie Jeffords. Uh, They wrote this two months ago, five out of five stars. Here comes the review. I believe in energies, eternal life, and supernatural encounters. This place could be the portal to all of that. I'm not sure if somebody could ever go deeper into experiencing bad presence like demons in Crescent Sanatorium. The tunnel from the chapel is intimidating. You feel that something is there, but you have to believe in encounters with the third kind. If not, go for the photography. This place is beautiful. You can make a great portfolio for a magazine with your best pictures of the landmark. I praise the owners who bought the facility and hopefully they will keep it as is, except for some investment in the welcome area with a little souvenir shop. Our flashlights ran out of battery, lol. And a museum displaying pictures of how this hospital and prison looked like in the old days. End of review. Now that the history has been covered and we've glanced over at some occult observations, let's dive into the reported hauntings. As probably predicted, Crescent, like many others cut from the same cloth, has some pretty spooky reports coming out of it. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it if it didn't, or else this would just be a history-based podcast, and I don't know if I could do that, to be honest. I need a little spooky. I need a little bit of weird. I need a little bit of macabre in my podcast, so moving on. Some of the paranormal reports that have come out of Crescent include feeling like you're always being watched when no one is around, along with sightings of shadow figures or miscellaneous apparitions and disembodied knocks and voices. I'm not gonna lie, Crescent is one of those places where I feel like shadow figures are very, very prominent. Like every building, we'll get to it, but every building seems to have Oh, and you'll see shadow figures. There are shadow figures coming out the wazoo. They're coming through the crevices at Crescent. To get a first-hand look at the paranormal reports, I decided to tune in to Discovery Plus, aka the best subscription that I've ever subscribed to, and I decided to tune in to one of my favorite paranormal shows being Destination Fear. As a reminder, Destination Fear is a group of four friends slash paranormal investigators being Dakota, Alex, Tanner, and Chelsea who explore reportedly haunted locations. I've discussed how much I like their show in previous paranormal episodes. They just recently released and finished their fourth season. I genuinely like the show and I will be very sad if they don't get renewed. So make sure you stream it, please. If not for them, then for me. Anyways, I'm not going to do a big old play-by-play of the two episodes they released from their Paranormal Investigations of Crescent. What I will do is kind of the Spark Notes version so that at least we can talk about what they highlighted during their investigation and kind of give us a better understanding as to some of the things that have reportedly taken place. That way, if you do want to try one of their paranormal tours, you know what to expect. So during the Destination Fear episode, we learn about the following hotspots and their associated spooky reports. The first being the administration building. Being one of the oldest buildings on site, it didn't surprise me that this location was listed first as being a paranormal hotspot. 
There have been accounts of folks seeing full-body apparitions standing in the windows within the second floor, even though the building was supposedly empty at the time. Next on the list is the Children's Ward, which this building was reportedly built within the 1930s in order to house children under six years old that were plagued with, well, the White Plague, aka tuberculosis. Supposedly, the sanatorium morgue was once in this building's basement, which that's terrifying. In the same building where the kids are? Ugh. What macabre planning was that? Reports claim that there is an aggressive type energy within this building, often referred to as the creeper or stalker. Further, there have been reports of shadow figures that will dart out of the door frames and into halls, aggressive sounding recordings or EVPs, and an entity known to mimic the living. So for example, if you are in this building and let's say you say something or you do something particular, there's basically this entity, aka the mimic, that will literally do exactly what you did in order to be like, hey, I'm this powerful enough to copy you, copy and paste. And that just doesn't sit well with me. That's very spooky. That's, to me, that's some poltergeist shit, hands down. Third on the list, and to no surprise, is the tunnels. As mentioned earlier, the tunnels were a key point in many sanatoriums within this time period. It is said that the tunnels at Crescent connected to almost every building. There have been reports of feeling like you're being followed while in the tunnels and sudden temperature drops. Next on the dock is F-Block. Formerly the mental health housing ward, F-Block reportedly sits within the middle of the grounds. There have been reports of people struggling to breathe within F-Block, which, I should add, looks like a normal home on the outside, so it's really deceiving. There have also been claims of seeing shadow figures roaming the halls, and also reports of higher-than-usual REM pod activity as well as audio recordings. Then there's I-Block, which, based on the episode, prisoners locked within I-Block were allegedly held within their cells for up to 23 hours a day. 23 hours a day. Talk about isolation. I-Block would once house previously mentioned inmate Joseph Callinger. Accounts claim that if you supposedly call Joseph out by name in this location, his spirit will interact with you in what has been described as a very heavy energy. Then there is J-Block. Described as the most modern and largest of the cell blocks on site, there are reports of a random sulfur smell within the building, which that's usually a big old red flag. I would, I want to say usually when you smell sulfur, that typically means like demonic energy, but I could be wrong. There is also an alleged higher focus on paranormal activity engaging with men in comparison to women, which is kind of rare in comparison to other reportedly haunted correctional facilities. It's usually women being more pestered or pried at by spirits than men, but hey, things are different in J-Block, I guess. Another block on the list is E-Block, which this once housed the general public of inmates. Paranormal activity reported here includes claims of shadow figures, engaging EVPs being captured, audible noises being heard, such as hissing noises near the showers, and people feeling their hair either being pulled or their legs and back being caressed by an unseen force. Last on the paranormal hotspot list is the most creepy being the chapel. Some of the paranormal investigators interviewed for Destination Fear noted that the chapel seems to be a place where darker energy is felt. There have been reports of door slamming, people feeling extremely exhausted to the point of shaking, which I've never heard of before, and there is a shadow figure-like entity with claws that has been reportedly seen on the ceiling. 
Now, during the investigation, the Destination Fear crew experienced the following, which you can watch again on Discovery+. Plus. So there was kind of like a faint sounding female voice heard when Dakota was alone in the admin building, almost sounding as if it was screaming. Alex, during his solo, had encouraged a spirit to mimic his knocks on a door when he was in the children's ward, which he heard the same knocks later on while with the rest of the group. It was three distinct knocks, which during the replay, you can hear the similarities between when Alex did it versus when the alleged spirit did it. Chelsea reportedly felt as if someone was walking behind her while exploring the tunnels alone. Tanner experienced his camera glitch out completely, and it shows on the show, but it completely glitch out trying to shoot down the hallway in F-block which took place after he reportedly saw a figure down the hall. The team also caught a weird EVP of a male-sounding voice saying two words I can't seem to make out, uh, something, something, and the tunnel. To me, it kind of sounds like just blank the tunnel, but it's, once again, really hard to make out. During their group investigation of the tunnels, the crew initially believed that the chair Chelsea was originally sitting in alone during her solo had moved down the tunnel seemingly by itself. It didn't, they just kind of stumbled on another random chair, but then they decided to turn the ovulus on, which, as a reminder, this is a device that supposedly lets spirits communicate with the living, and after this whole chair confusion fiesta, the ovulus pipes up and randomly says chair. Which, like, why would it randomly say that? They were just talking about a chair. Why would it say that unless something intelligent, like a spirit, was interacting with them, saying, like, hey, I'm acknowledging that you guys are talking about the chair. The group then heard random knocks and noises within the tunnel that they seemingly could not explain before the ovulus then spoke up again and said, count. As in, maybe count the knocks? What's really creepy during the group exploration in the tunnels is that they start hearing what sounds to be the music box, which they do use as a trigger object. Basically, if something such as a spirit touches the box, the music will go off. So you hear this while they're in the tunnels, but the twist is that the music box was not in the tunnels with them at all, but it was back in the gear room in a different building. So this actually happened another time when Chelsea and Dakota were alone in E-Block, in which the music box, again, was not in the cell. Alex supposedly had used it earlier in the episode, but didn't get any activity on it, so he put it back in its box and left it in the gear room. But then they kept hearing it throughout the episode, which was super eerie. I've never seen or heard anything like that on any other paranormal show that I can think of at the moment. And I will say, if I was present during this, I'd probably shit my pants. I'm not gonna lie. I'm surprised no one shit their pants that night. And if they did, they did a really good job at hiding it. Because, whew, that's weird. Further paranormal encounters that took place during the two episodes of Destination Fear include footsteps being heard in the chapel, an EVP of something saying, welcome to, and then something inaudible, funeral. A random door slamming and subsequently locking on itself in the tunnels. In J-Block, there were random sounds being heard as if someone was kind of like banging on metal. An EVP recording session completely deleted by itself, which was super odd, but it only deleted in a certain section. Like, the actual EVP recording, you could hear the beginning and the end, but then when Tanner, I think it was, was asking questions, that whole section of the EVP was completely removed which makes no sense. It, it doesn't, 
it makes no sense as to why it would have done that. There were on and off issues with cameras where the focus would get really blurry out of nowhere and then refocus and be fine. Uh, Tanner, while in the tunnels, also experienced technical malfunctions with his camera audio when he was venting about having no energy. Like, I think he was saying he was really exhausted. He felt his energy was drained. And you watch all of the audio, like, on one camera go and then the other camera, the audio goes. It was very eerie. And you can see him panicking, which is not only sad but scary because you have to remember like they're all separated on this massive property and of course when his audio started going he was having issues with his walkie-talkie like it got to the point where he just went outside and was like you know what I'm done and I think as much as we as humans want to know for sure that there is life beyond this and that there are energies and spirits out there, we also have to remind ourselves that we have to explore within our limits and boundaries. If we get to a point where we feel unsafe, then we can't keep pushing ourselves. Like You see it in a lot of other paranormal shows or you hear about it where they push themselves to the point of literally hurting themselves, right? And it's just not safe. So I'm not encouraging anyone to do that in the sense of if you need to take a break or you need to step back and you need to leave somewhere where poorly haunted, do it. You will get evidence one way or another. You do not need to risk your life over it. And that is a fact. Speaking of just all things terrifying, I think it's time to wrap up this week's Weird Distractions episode. I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to anyways in case there's any doubt. This place is 100% on my spooky bucket list, respectfully, of course. I love exploring old buildings, learning their histories, and if there's a paranormal report or two, then I'm definitely in. However, my eagerness does not diminish the death and potential trauma that did occur here. Every location has a past, some average, some perhaps a bit on the darker side. Crescent, like other sanatoriums, seems to teeter between the darker and the lighter side of history. Darker because of the lives lost, some of the people who once called it home, and the potential abuse that may or may not have allegedly taken place inside its walls. But what do you think? Make sure to let me know your thoughts on this week's distraction over on social media or shoot me a DM or an email. And if you've ever been to Crescent, please tell me your experience. I would love to hear it. would love to hear if you've had any spooky encounters while there or just in general, how did you like exploring the place? If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming the show on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review. This helps the show out for free by letting others know that it's worth listening to. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an update is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and TikTok. If you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month, why not join one of the two tiers over on Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content such as bonus episodes and series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early access to the regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to patreon.com slash WeirdDistractI. 
Distractions podcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Shadow, Courtney, Jennifer, and Cheryl. I love you all and appreciate your ongoing support of Weird Distractions. If you're unable to support the show on a monthly basis, but still want to support it maybe as a one-time donation, check out the show's merch over on Redbubble or sign up for a one-time donation over on Buy Me A Coffee. Lastly, I want to hear from you. As some longtime listeners may recall, Christy and I released two listener story-based episodes called Listener Distractions. I'd love to keep doing this series and hear all of your weird tales of ghostly encounters, unexplainable events, and too close to home true crime stories. You can email me your tales at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections that need to be made after today's episode, let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.